starting a brand new series this week because I feel like it's a very timely series. I feel like it's a very important series. And uh, I, I, I know I say that um, probably every, the start of every series, but um, yeah, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I really do believe in this situation that this is a very timely series of where we're at and, and where we can, as the church and as Christians, really have a shift in our understanding and in our, our, uh, what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. Now, the title of the series this morning is called Full of Grace and Truth. Full of Grace and Truth. The plan is at this point, this will be a four-week series. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to it. Before we get into kind of our main verse that we're going to be using through the series, though, I'd like to pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for such a great time in worship. We thank you for such a great time in coming into your presence and having you love on us and having us love on you. We thank you for that. And Father, now as we move into a time of your word, God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, my words aren't going to be enough. My words aren't going to be good enough, but God, your words, that changes everything. And that's what we need and that's what we desire. And Father, I ask that you'd help us in that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our main verse for our series is going to actually be found in John 1. John 1, verse number 14, and this is what it says. Now, as we get into this, at the beginning of John, in John 1, John kind of gives this beautiful understanding of, of Jesus. I encourage you to read John 1 and study it because it's really a, a great, great beginning to a book. And, and the word here is speaking of Jesus, but here we are in John 1, 14. It says this, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's really what we're going to be looking at here, this idea of grace and truth, because Jesus didn't just kind of have this situation. Jesus wasn't somewhat truth, somewhat grace. The Word tells us that he was Full. Now, if you understand that concept of full, let me help you with that in case you're kind of having an understanding like, well, what, what does that really mean? If I went to the gas station and I put gas in my car and the little line went all the way to the F, that means it is full. It means it cannot take any more. If you try to put more in, I know it clicks and all that jazz, but if you try to put more in, it will overflow and completely go out on the car and out on yourself and things like that. So when the words here is telling us that Jesus is full of something, he is completely full of it. That sounded bad. You didn't catch it. Some of you did. Watch it later, okay? But he's completely full. So, so what I'm saying is this. Does that mean that Jesus was 100% grace, 100% truth at the exact same time? Yes. The problem at times for us, and, and, and here's the thing, We're, this is going to be kind of an introduction to the series. We're going to be talking about a, a little thing here in a little bit, but this is going to be the little part of the introduction for the entire series. But this idea of being full of grace and full of truth is something that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to follow. We need to walk in those steps of Jesus to do the same thing that he did. And so uh, to start off, we have to ask a simple question. And you're going to have to answer this. And this is the question. What type of person are you? What type of person are you? Because here's the thing. Number one, in this series, you're going to be probably either one or another type of person. The first type of person that you may be is a grace or truth type of person. Grace 
or truth. These types of people are, and here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with being more of one versus the other. It's an understanding that we need to grow in both. But most people are either a grace person or a truth person. So we'll look at this in a second. So first is the grace. These are people that just love everybody. Listen, they, they love this verse. This is one of their favorite verses. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says this, Beloved, it even starts sweet, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And we just love grace, and we just love love, and we just love it. Oh, it's just so great, it's so awesome. And and it is, and it is. Here's the thing, if you're a grace person... This will help you maybe understand a little bit more of who you are. If you're a grace person, you are most concerned with being loved. Giving love and being loved. If you're a grace person. Now, the other type of person you may be is you may be a grace or truth person. Now, I don't know who you are. I know who I am. And that's my wife laughing because she knows who I am. I am a truth person. You get me? Like, I, I mean, I, I, I like the grace and I like the love, you know, but I'm truth. You know, that's me. Usually if you ask people who the truth people are, the truth people are like, yes, sir, that's me. You know, that's the truth people. And we like verses like this, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad Its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. We like that truth. We have God's word and all these things. And it's not that the other group doesn't, but we put an extreme importance on it. We like the idea of truth with maybe just a little bit of grace. And here's the thing. If you are a truth person, you are most concerned with being right. Okay? It doesn't matter who you hurt. It doesn't matter how, how harsh you are. The biggest thing is, is I'm right, you're wrong, this is why. Right. And that's what we get most concerned with. This idea of either being a grace person with a little bit of truth or a truth person with a little bit of grace. But let's remember, Jesus was full of both. He was 100% of both. That's what we should be. So whichever type of person you are, and I'm not saying one is worse or better than the other, it's just we need to identify who we are, identify what camp we kind of fall into, and understand that in this series, what I believe God wants us to do is do a better job of being able to stand on truth, stand up for the truth, not let culture or others or fear keep us from proclaiming the truth, but also loving well as we do that. Because here's the thing I'm seeing. It seems like these camps have kind of divided themselves up and it's either we're in one camp or another. So it's either we excuse sin, we excuse these things because we just want to love so much or we're so harsh and we beat people down so much that they have no grace. And we need to be completely full of both. If you study Jesus' life, and obviously I would encourage you to do this, 
It is a beautiful symphony of finding the moment to be both of those things in a, it's just gorgeous. It's absolutely amazing to watch Jesus move and operate among people. Why was he able to do that? Yes, he was God's son. Yes, he was amazing. But he understood how to balance those things to where each of them were completely a part of his life. So here's the question we need to ask. What type of people should we be? What type of people should we be? We kind of started into this. But, but here's what we have to understand. And I want all of us, and this is everybody that we need to understand. Every human being that needs to understand these, under, these statements, these are what we need to get. We desperately need grace in our lives. It doesn't matter how perfect you think you are. It doesn't matter how great you are at keeping the rules or all those things. It is all of us need God's grace. Look at Matthew 11. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says this, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all need rest. We all need grace. I love here that we see this, this idea of Jesus coming gently and humbly, not, not beating us. How could you? What, what is wrong with you? How could you need this? No, it's, it's come to me. It's an invitation to grace. It's an invitation to enjoy the rhythms of the grace that God has given us. It's understanding that and knowing that we all need grace. No matter how perfect you think you are, you need God's grace. But here's the other thing. Here's the other side of that coin. We desperately need truth in our lives. We desperately need truth. Look at John 8, 31. It says this in 32. So Jesus said to the Jews, we, we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago, the, uh, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, what is he saying here? If you abide in my commandments, if you abide in the things, if you do the things I've asked you to do, if you'll do that, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need those things. We need those guide rails in our lives. Listen, can I help you with something? If you see the rules or the regulations of God as stifling to you, you are totally missing how much God loves you and God's heart in that. Listen, I'm not trying to be stifling for my son by saying, hey, don't go play in the street when there's cars present. You get that? You understand? It would be silly. Now, sometimes he'll do that. Sometimes as a child, we'll do that. We'll go, well, I, I know what I need to do. I, I can do this. I'm okay. I'm, I'm safe. And we do that sometimes with God. But God is not saying, hey, listen, I want to put these guardrails in here because God finds this twisted pleasure in controlling you. God is doing it because he loves you. Because he wants better things for you than even you could dream up yourself. That's awesome. That's who our God is. Even in the rules, even the things that we think, oh man, you mean, you mean I can't do that? Yeah, God's like, yeah, yeah, you, you really shouldn't because if you do, there's going to be some bad consequences that come down the road. But we desperately need truth in our lives. So, so what does that mean? It's in your notes and you need to catch this, understand this, because this is really in some ways a, a microcosm of the entire series. Basically, we can't be grace or truth people. 
We can't be grace or truth people. Or is not an option. Or is not an option. We must be grace and truth people. We need to be grace and truth people. And we have to work at it. This isn't easy for the truth people who have a hard time handling out grace. This isn't easy for kind of the grace love people who sometimes have a hard time standing up and saying, no, this is right and this is wrong. Not because I say it, but because God has said it. We need to understand that. So, but here's the issue. Here's the issue as we continue in our notes. How do we live in the tension of grace and truth? How do we live in that tension? Because you know what? We live in a tension-filled world. How do we do this? How do we, how do we actually go, okay, listen, I know Jesus was 100% truth, 100% grace. I can see in his words, in his actions, that playing out. So how do I do that? And especially in a world that almost fights against this. It's like we live in a world now where you have to, it's, 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 just, it's just tough. And it's tension. It's, it's like, I don't know if, if you're feeling this right now, but it just feels like I'm being yanked and pulled in all these different directions, trying to figure out, well, well how can I stand for God's word? How can, I, how can I stand up for what's right and what's true? But at the same time, do it in a way that is, expresses grace and love and mercy. Because that's what God has called us to do. How do we do that? Well, over the next four weeks, including this week, we're going to try to answer that question. We're going to try to figure out how we can do that. And one of the best illustrations that I have found to talk about that is in the book of Daniel. We're going to be doing a book study on the book of Daniel. Now, we're going to look at some of the stories in there. We're going to talk about some of the stories you may not know about. You know, we're, we're probably, unless God changes something on me, we're not going to do the fiery furnace. We're not going to do Daniel in the lion's den. I'm sorry for all of you that, that, that you know, um, I'm sorry. We'll do final board stories part two probably later on, you know, and we'll maybe go through those. But, but we're going to look at Daniel and we're going to see, because here's the thing is we're going to get into this. You're going to see a lot of parallels about our world today and what Daniel and, and his friends felt and dealt with. So I feel like this is a great opportunity. But before we get into the book of Daniel very quickly, I want to give you a little bit of background about the book. This is in your notes. And you need to understand these things because as we go through them, it'll help you understand a greater understanding of really what's going on in, in, these, in these people's lives and in, in Babylon and all these things. So, so let's go through this really quickly. But the book of Daniel was written in about uh, 605 B.C., during the exile in Babylon. Basically, God, for hundreds of years, literally is trying to get Israel and Judah to repent and come back to him. And finally, he says, it's time for judgment. It's time for, for you to kind of reap what you've sown. And basically, they are taken into Babylon. They're going to be there um, for about 70 years. And then God is going to bring them back in, back in. So, so in this situation, basically, it's the exile. We're going to get a little bit more in detail in that in just a second. But know that that's what's happening. This is when Daniel is writing this. Chapters 1 through 6 are narrative stories, okay? If you look at Daniel and you study it, it, it it's, it's really interesting because it's almost like two completely separate books, it's like the first six chapters are kind of those narrative stories. Those are, those are Daniel in the lion's den. There's the fiery furnace. There's, there's the, the hand on the wall. If you don't know what that is, it, it's a story in there. It's pretty amazing. Um, they're narrative stories. But then when you get to 7 and 12, they're apocalyptic visions. 
Okay, we, we finished up a couple of weeks ago now, Revelation. Uh, you know, you know, and if you remember me telling you, I said there's more, there's more prophetic vision kind of stuff in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. And Daniel is a part of that. And so there's some stuff, man, as you look at it, you're going, what in the world? But these are visions that God gave Daniel to, to see. And, and here's the, the thing I think that we really need to understand. These prophetic insights that we see in all of these chapters are very relevant for us today. So we're going to jump right in here and we're going to look in, in just the first part of Daniel. Something that I think is very important. So if you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be up on your screen or at home. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 this morning. So look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start with verse number 1. Now, before we get into this, I want, to, I want everybody to look at me and be... Everybody look at me for a second. Okay? These names are hard. I am going to butcher them, most all of them. I, I, I feel like I'll get Daniel. Okay, but I don't want any snickering. I'm looking at somebody in particular. No, I don't want any snicker. I, I will do the best I can. I've been working on them all week. By the end of the series, I will be slightly better. Okay, but I will do the best I can. Uh, but they are some tough names, but we're going to do the best we can. Daniel 1, starting with verse number 1 and 2, it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jerichim, not even close, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoam, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, in the treasure, and put them in the treasure house of his God. So let, let's, let's kind of give you a little bit of setting here, basically. Again, because of Israel's sin, because they turn their back on God, God allows them to be conquered by the Babylonians. Okay? They come in, they literally tear everything down, they go into the temple, they, they take out the sacred objects. I mean, this is a big deal, okay? Sometimes it's easy to read this stuff and, and, and not put humanity on the people that dealt with it, okay? This is massive. This is life-altering stuff that was major in their lives. They're literally taken away as slaves and so on and so forth. So let's continue on in Daniel 3. Daniel 1.3, it says, then, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing altitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Let's stop there for just a second so you understand what's going on. Obviously, at this point, Israel and a lot of the people have been taken into slavery, and the king has asked uh, his, his main official to go through, find the guys that were sharp, find the guys that, were, that knew their stuff, and basically they were going to serve as slaves as well, but in a different way. They were going to serve the king. They were going to serve in his palace. And so basically, if this makes sense, they go through and he finds all the brightest, all the sharpest, all these things and brings them to Babylon. And again, they're going to be slaves, but in a different way. Now let's continue in verse number four. It says, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now again, 
as we look at these things, okay, now let's go on to verse 5. Let's stop. Because this is important that you catch this. What is really happening here? Okay, again, not only are these men being taken from their home, not only are they being taken from, from what they've always known, now they're taken and their job, what's going to happen to them is they're basically going to be indoctrinated with the language, the teaching, the understanding of the Babylonians. In some ways, basically, they're saying, you know, everything you knew as a child, everything you grew up understanding was wrong. It's not true. Here's truth. Here's really what's going on. Here's the situation that you find yourself in. And all of a sudden, what we begin to see here, and we're going to see later on in later weeks, this idea of trying to take people that understand one thing, that understand God's truth, that understand God's situations and all these things and begin to manipulate and begin to change and begin to say, is that really truth? Is that really what's going on? You know what's interesting? It's exactly what the serpent did in the garden. Is that really what God says? You know, sometimes pastors get a bad rap, or maybe I feel like I do, because I like to say, you know, you got to read your words. you got to spend time in prayer. you got to, you got to, you got to. And I know what happens because I did it when I was a teenager as well, or when I've been in churches. Yes, I know, i got to read the word. Why do we focus on that so much? Because you got to know the truth. And where's the truth? The truth is not in what culture says it is. It's not in what you say it is. It's not what's relative to you. It's what God's word says. And what the enemy loves to do is when you don't know really the full truth is to say things like, is that really the truth? How can we be 100% truth if we don't really know what truth is? We've got to understand that. So they begin to do this. They begin to basically say, you know, let's, let's reprogram these kids. That is, I mean, I mean, obviously, that is nothing like we deal with in our world today, is it? Nah. This isn't, this, we should go home and have lunch because this, this doesn't have any relevance to our world today. Not just our kids, but us. So this is what they're doing in this situation. And you know what? Here's the thing about that, and we need to understand that. Because I, I, I've, and what's interesting is, is I've said this, my wife has said this, I've heard other people say this, just with everything that's going on right now, it's just, I don't know about you, but I have never ever in my life thought like, hear me here, hear my heart on this, like in the middle of nowhere would be the best place to live. You know, it's like, how far off the grid can I get? You know, it's like, okay, I, I got a tent, um, I got a hatchet, I, I'm, I'm not going through all the things, I, we can survive, we can live, you know, and I just, I just kind of want to, in a lot of ways, say, you know what, I just don't want to deal with this right now. I don't want to live in this tension of truth and grace anymore. But here's the thing, we need to understand this. Jesus already answered that thought. He already spoke to that concern. Look at John 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying for you and for me. And this is what he says. He says, my prayer is not that you take them. He's speaking obviously to his father. That you take them, them being us, out of the world. But that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. 
Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For them, for them I sanctify myself that they may too be truly sanctified. What's, what's Jesus want? What's his prayer for us? Honestly, it's not, look, there's an escape hatch. It's we've got to live full of grace and full of truth, sometimes in Babylon, sometimes when it's hard and it's not easy. So this morning as we kind of bring these up, I want to kind of talk a little bit about as we understand that thing, what other than just the learning, what they first did to these individuals. Look in your notes. We're going to talk about the identity shift. The identity shift. Look at Daniel verse 1, verse 7. Here we go. Now, once again, they've been brought, they're starting to be taught, and this is one of the first things that's recorded that happens to them. The chief official gave them new names. Gave them new names. Okay, now this is where it's going to get a little messy. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, I believe that's right, Abednego. At this moment, what is the first thing they do? They give them new names. Now, to you and me, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but you've got to understand something. In biblical times, names mattered, and they mattered big time. Big time. When you would name a child, you would specifically not so much care about the name as much as the meaning of that name. Okay? Like today, we, we, we have a child and, and we want to, oh, I want to name him after my grandpa or I want to name him after my dad or my mom. Oh, that's great. And that's wonderful. We name kids differently. Then they named them after things that were very, very telling about who they were, even about their personality. Names were important. They meant something very, very big. It was literally their identity. And what's the first thing they do? They change their name. They change their name. So in that, we're going to look at their identity shift. We're going to look at their name change. Because it's something here that's powerful. And look, you can find these. You know, I found these in a, in a USV study Bible. They're, you know, they're out there. So, so this isn't really me coming up with all this stuff. But it's important that we see this. So, so let's look at this in your notes. From Hananiah, that name. Okay, From that name. That name means Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh, if, you, if you're not familiar, is this another name for the Lord or God? I love that term. Yahweh has been gracious. His name was switched to Shadrach. You know what Shadrach means? I am fearful of God. I'm fearful of God. Fearful. So what's the shift in Hananiah? From a gracious, loving God to a tyrannical God to be feared. Now here's the thing. As you look at these, hear me here. We need to really understand how, which name do you more identify with, okay? Because just spoiler alert, they're not at all the Babylonian name, okay? They're not. So if you see God as this tyrannical God that's out to get you, please hear me. God is gracious, and God loves you, and God has a plan for your life. 
but they switched it. So now, anytime his name was said, what people heard was that God was to be feared. God was to be feared. Next, let's look at Michelle. M- M- Mich- Michelle, I don't know how to, that's, I don't, whatever. Who can compare to my God? And I love this because there's even like an answer to the question in his name. It, he goes, who can be compared to my God? And the answer is no one. No one. No one. And his name was changed to Meshach. And this is what it means. I am despised, worthless, and humiliated. From an understanding that who is like our God to you know what? You're nothing. Can, can you hear my heart here for a second? There's a lot of people in this room and there's a lot of people online who you have people in your life that have named you Meshach. Maybe your parents, maybe been a teacher, maybe been friends, maybe been a pastor. I don't know who it was. And you have walked around with that name. You need to hear my name. That is not your name. That is not your name. You see, God says you are valuable. God says you are loved. God says you are a precious jewel. God says you belong to him. You are not worthless. But you know what? They tried to change your name. And because of that, you've had some issues and you've had some problems accepting God's love. And you need to understand, they can't name you. Okay? They can't name you. But here's the thing. What's the shift in that name? The shift is a, uh, there's at one point, there's a focus on God, and then there becomes a focus on self. Focus on self. Not only that, but there's a shift from confidence to cowardice and fear. Cowardice and fear. That's the shift that we see in his name. Next, Azariah. Azariah. What does that mean? What does, what does that mean? It means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. But it has been switched to Abednego. And what does that mean? It means the servant of Nebo. Nebo was a, 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 a false god for the Babylonians. Okay? So in the shift there, what do we see? We see this idea of a shift from son of God to a slave of man. Son of God to a slave of man. Because Nebo was not real. He was not a real God. And in so, he, we, they became enslaved to a man's creation that says, this is God. When it wasn't. When it wasn't. The last one that we're going to talk about is Daniel. Is Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. Now you go, well, that, that doesn't sound really, really nice, you know. But listen, God is justice, okay? And he's a good judge, okay? He's a good judge. But God is my judge. Now listen, this is important. There's a reason why I wanted Daniel last. This name, Belteshazzar, means lady protect the king. Lady protect the king. 
Look in your notes, because I want you to catch this. I want to talk about the shift that we see. Basically, the shift was from a male name to a female name. He is called something different than how God created him to be. Now, again, we're not dealing with this type of situation and confusion at all in our culture today, are we? Guys, this was 600 B.C. And there was confusion. There was people saying, hey, this is not the way it is. Listen, one thing I've begun to understand more and more is this. You know, we, we look at our lives a lot of times and we go, boy, look how bad it is right now in 2020. And oh, boy, I wish I lived back then. You know what? People had issues then. They had problems then. They had sin then. And they're dealing with this. So Daniel's name is changed to a female name. To a female name. And also this is a focusing uh, away from God to a focusing on man. And it goes basically for an all-powerful God or king uh, to a king or God who needs protecting. You know, listen, I am so thankful that we have a God that doesn't need our protection. That doesn't need us to say, hey God, uh, I'm going to pray that everything works out for you today. Hey God, I'm praying that everything's okay with you. God, I'm praying that nobody comes and gets you. That's what this name means. It's like, oh, 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 please, please, please keep them safe. Please protect them. Our God is not that way. But all of a sudden we begin to see this shift. We begin to see this idea of God's not all powerful. God can't handle it. God can't do it. God can't promise anything and follow through with it. Because he needs you to pray for his own protection. But our God isn't that. Our God is strong. Our God is powerful. And here's the thing you need to understand and we need to understand. It's simple. It's simply this. Identity matters. Identity matters. And you know what? We, we, we see that day after day, time after time, people who have an understanding of their identity, people who stand and go, you know what? I know who I am. I know who I am because God has told me who I am because he has promised me that he loves me. He's promised me that he's never going to leave me. He loves me even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm working through stuff. He loves me just the way I am. When you find people like that, you know what you find? You find people with hope. You find people with peace. You find people with joy. Why? Because they know whose they are. But when you don't know your identity, when you have forgotten that you are a, a son or a daughter of God, you're going to have trouble with all those things because you're going to doubt that God really loves you. You're going to doubt if God has a plan for you. You're going to not live in peace because you're going to be afraid. But when we know whose we are, when we know what our name is and we don't let the world or Babylon or anybody else name us, in that moment, we can live the type of life that Jesus promised. Here's the thing I truly believe. We always quote that scripture, oh, Jesus came to give us life and give it to the abundance or to the full, and I totally believe that, absolutely. You want that life? I believe truly the only way you can really get that life is first is God's help, and second, you understanding who you are. 
Because too many of us walk around and we don't know who we are. We've allowed the world to name us. Listen, if you haven't caught this yet, you need to, and hear me on this. The world, our culture, the enemy, they want to give you a new name. They want to give you a new name. And if they can get you to have a new name, you and I will not be able to live in that truth and in that grace and be able to also, and this is important, to give it out to people that need it. Listen, hear me here, because I truly believe this. People that have a hard time knowing who they are are the people that usually will swing very strongly one way or another when it comes to grace and truth. You show me someone who's way out of whack, like they're 98% truth, 2% grace, I'll show you someone who doesn't really know who they are, scripturally and biblically. You have somebody that's way over here on, oh, we just got to love everybody, and, and, and is that wrong? No, well, well, the Bible says so, well, it doesn't matter, it's how I feel, and I just want people to feel loved. They're 92, over here. They don't know who they are. They have lost their identity. Why? Because I believe they've allowed others to name them. They've let others name them. So listen, let's bring this all to the close. The worship team wants to come up. So with all that understanding, what type of people then has God called us to be? What type of people? After all this identity and all, what, what type of people has God called us to be? It's real simple. Ready? We need to stand firm on God's truth, and we need to freely give God's grace. We need to stand on God's truth, and we need to firmly give grace. God's grace. Listen to me. Hear me here. And I know this isn't real popular and I don't care. Just so you know and so you know. We stand on this. Okay, and hear me. Hear my heart on this. We don't stand on your feelings. Because your feelings and my feelings, they, they, they change. And I, listen here, that doesn't mean your feelings aren't valuable. They're extremely valuable. But we're not going to base truth on those things. And you shouldn't base them on my feelings either. We, we're going to stand on God's word when it's not popular. When culture says, no, nope, that's not the way it is. No, nope, I'm sorry. We stand on God's word. And we stand firm on God's word. When it's not popular, it doesn't matter. We stand on God's word. But in that understanding, we give grace freely. We, we are a type of people that basically, like, like grace, and we just give it, give it, and give it, and give it, and give it. Why? Because everybody needs both. Everybody needs both. Here's what's beautiful about how these things work together. Without truth, without a standard, there's no need for grace. You can't give grace if there's no truth. Because nobody needs grace. If it's just whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, you don't need grace from God. Because you've made your own decision on what's right and what's wrong. You want to you give people grace? Stand for truth. It's real simple. And extremely difficult to do. But that's what this whole series is about, guys. It's what we see over and over again in Daniel. Men of God who say, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm in Babylon. 
It doesn't matter if I'm in a culture that is anti what I believe. I will stand for what God has said is true. But here's what's beautiful, and we'll see this in the next couple of weeks. They don't do it with an attitude. They don't do it with a, you're stupid and wrong and dumb. They do it with grace. They do it with respect. They do it with love. And we're going to look at their life and understand that. But here's the deal. We can't get to week two, three, and four if we don't first understand who we are and who God's called us to be. And whether you know it or not, the enemy and other people in your life have tried to change your name. And you say, well, Aaron, what's my name? Lots of things. And here's what's great about God. God is so personal. God, God gives us all different names. And I would encourage you, seriously, ask God. Say, God, what's my name? What, what's my name? Because I believe he gives all of us different names because we all have different gifts and different talents and different things. We all need to hear different things from God. And God isn't just throwing it out there. Here's a blanket and everybody get covered. He's, he's taking individual blankets and covering and loving and saying, this is, this is what this person needs and this is what this person needs. It's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. But here's, here's the blanket that when we accept him, that we all got to start with, I believe. So for today, this is what your name is. Your name is son or daughter. What's that mean? It means that you are in the family of God. It means that you are an heir of God. It means that he loves you. He'll never forsake you that you're his kid. And listen, our dad is not like our earthly dads, no matter how great or bad they are. Our dad, spiritually, is perfect. He always says the right thing. He always does the right thing. That doesn't mean we always understand him, but trust me, he always does it right. And so we start there. God, I'm your son. God, I'm your daughter with all the rights, with all the privileges, with all the authority, with all the gifts, with all the blessings and everything that goes with it. You start there. And when you know whose you are, then you will be open to allow God to fill in all the rest of who you are and all the things your name means. And then when the enemy or the world or somebody else comes and says, no, 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 your name is this. You go, no, sorry, you didn't create me. You didn't make me. You're not my dad. You don't get to name me. I got to name my son. Me and my wife did. You get it. Why? Because he's mine. Because God gave him to me. I didn't name your child. Why? Because that's your job. That'd be weird. God names us because we're his, because we're his kids. So we start there. We start there. Father, we come to you right now. And Father, we are so blessed and excited that you have named us, that you have loved us enough to give us each a name. Father, it says in your word that you love us so much that every hair on our head is numbered. What's that mean? Lots of things. But it means we have a name and you know who we are. And Father, for all of us that have accepted you, that first name, is son or daughter. And we got more names than that. 
But that's where we start. And so, Father, right now, I pray against the identity shift that has been trying to take place in our hearts and in our world. Father, I pray against, uh, for every individual that's hearing the sound of my voice, whether online or, or here, that, Father, we would know that those names that were given are not our true names. They're not our identity. They're not who we are. And that we can live fully in grace and fully in truth, but it starts with understanding our name and understanding our identity. Because the first thing the enemy loves to do is say, no, 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 no. You're not a son or daughter of God. You're a failure. You're not loved. God puts up with you because he's got to. Or whatever lie from the pit of hell he says. And when we know who we are, God, we can fight those lies and stand up for the truth. And so God, right now, if there is anybody here that does not know who they are, God, I pray that as we look to you, you will reveal that in their heart. And that, God, it will start with son and daughter. For those that have understood that, that, God, that today you would give them a deeper understanding of their name and you would help them to stand firm in the truth but also, also, Father, freely give grace. Because every human being needs them both. And God, you called us as your son and as your daughter, as your ambassadors, to help those around us find that out and to know. We love you. We thank you. And Father, as we move into this closing chorus, God, I pray that you would reveal those things to every heart every life and that you would change us from the inside out we love you let's all stand john and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus Thank you, Father. Yep, God, we need you. 
God, we need you. We need, <laughs> it's interesting, Father, we need truth. We need grace. And really what that means is we need Jesus. We need you, Jesus. And so we look to you to help us to do what we can't do on our own. To help us to know. So, Father, help us to know when the enemy comes and tries to tell us a new name. That we don't try to fight it on our own, we run to Jesus. And we have Jesus tell us our name. We have Jesus come and be strong in our weakness. And then we stand on the firm foundation that is his love, his grace, his mercy, and his truth. We love you, Jesus. And we need you. Thank you for this time and this morning. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. Listen, remember we got prayer on Wednesday the 23rd. If you can be with us in person, we'd love to have you here. If not, online, whatever works best for you. Love you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon.